Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. The New Testament book of Acts and Acts in chapter number 17. The book of Acts and chapter number 17. We've been going through a series dealing with the idea of of the Word of God. And with it, each week we've been taking a segment, an emphasis on the Word of God, speaking about its inspiration, speaking about its inerrancy, speaking about its accuracy, speaking about the preservation, talking about the illumination, talking about the interpretation. And this week we have put an emphasis on the power of God's Word. Now, just a few more messages left on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Next Wednesday night, we begin a brand new series on the the gospel record of Luke. So we're finishing this off, but we want to finish it off strong as we're now making the application of the teaching of the God's word, dealing with the power of God's word. We now go to the book of Acts where we get to see the power of God's word illustrated in history in the life of the apostle Paul during his missionary journey. And we pick it up in the book of Acts chapter number 17. The book of Acts chapter 17, and if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number one. The book of Acts chapter 17 in verse number one, notice with me. Now when they had passed through Amphilius and Ampolio, Amponia, they came to Thessalonica, where, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. When Jason, whom Jason hath received, and all these do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble 
than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of the honorable women which were Greeks and the men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica acknowledged that the word of God was preached at Berea they came hither also and stirred up the people. And immediately the brethren sent away Paul and as to go <laughs> to go as it were the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they conducted Paul and brought him to Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come with him with all speed, they departed. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find inside of the book of Acts chapter 17. In the book of Acts chapter 17, and notice with me in verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse number 13, where it says, the word of God was preached. The word of God was preached. And with this, as we put an emphasis on the power of God's word, let's see this historical example, putting an emphasis here on the city of Thessalonica with this idea here, the word of God was preached. The word of God was preached. Thank you. Let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And we thank you for the power of your word. That your word has great power. That it is like a fire. It is like a hammer breaking it heart, the hardest stone. Lord, your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, you promised that your word would not return void, but it will get accomplished that way you said it to. And as we see this passage here, we could see that emphasized and illustrated in this historical event. Help us as we study it, that we also can see the emphasis and the power of your word. Again, I can't explain your power. I can't illustrate your power with my own words. It must be your spirit that gets involved, that you open up your Bible in a special way. The best I know how I surrender myself to you once again, reckon myself dead, and that you do it all. You carry me past my infirmities, my inadequacies, my limitations, and you do a work that will last for eternity. Thank you that we could trust you in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. What a powerful phrase it says that the word of God was preached. When you understand the power of God's word and you see this phrase declared, the word of God was preached, there is a certain expectation if you know anything about the Bible and know the power of God's word and know what happens in history, that when you see that idea that the word of God was preached, you can expect that something happened. You're not going to read a passage where nothing happened, everyone went to sleep, everyone was bored. But when you see that phrase in the Bible, and especially in the book of Acts, that the word of God was preached, you can expect some exciting things were happening, some things were stirred, some lives were changed because of the power of God's word. Now before we explore this passage, perhaps we could see a highlight again of the importance of the power of God's word being preached. Turn with me if you don't mind, uh, hold your finger here. We're turning right back here to the book of Acts. Book, or sorry, the book of 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. And notice with me, if you don't mind, what God has to say concerning this idea that the word of God was preached. What happens when God's word is preached? What 
power is there inside of God's word? The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we can see the apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. And in the very beginning part of this book, he begins to explain to them about the power of the gospel. The power of preaching God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, notice with me in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and to bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made the foolishness or foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now there's a lot in these couple verses here speaking about the power of God's word. Especially where it regards to the power of the preaching of the gospel. Notice again in verse 17. For Christ had sent me not to baptize. But what did God send uh, Paul to do? To preach the gospel. That was the emphasis of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. To preach the gospel. And notice what he said. Not with the words of wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be, should be made of none effect. He's not supposed to preach with his own wisdom. He's supposed to preach the actual word of God. Knowing that the word of God has power. If he was to use his own words. His own way of explaining it. It would not get across. It would not have the same power. God's word has a power to change lives. Verse Again, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness. Now here's a declarative statement. For those who aren't saved and we say, listen here, the power of God's word can change lives. They look at you going, what? What? This is supposed to save the world by having some guy stand and open the word of God and say this is what God's word says? That's supposed to change the world? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound possible. And God says, I know. It doesn't make sense. If you were to go and get the smartest people in all the world and say, listen, how do we save the world? They would have came up with a plan that we need to raise taxes so that way we could change global warming, global change, or whatever weather change we're on today. You know, if we raise taxes, that's going to save the world. Hey, you know what? We need to get together and we need to make peace with everyone and that will change the world. You know what we need to do? We need to make sure that everyone is equal and so everyone gets paid the same, everyone works the same, everyone looks the same. If we make everyone the same, that will change the world. They come up with all these ideas, but none of those ideas include preach the word. And God says, that's all you need to do. My word can do a work and it could change lives. That there's not a single problem that cannot be changed, cannot be solved by the foolishness of preaching. God's word can do a work.
have someone who's deep into sin? Preach the word. You have someone who doesn't know what they need to do? Preach the word. Someone needs to help raising their kids? Preach the word. Someone has a problem that seems unsurmountable? Preach the word. It is the foolishness of preaching that God has used to change lives. Now, it doesn't make sense to anyone else. But notice to those who are saved, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is. Notice this word is. This word is is a comparative term. It carries the idea equal to. So you could, in your mind, you could put the word equal to. So notice this, the preaching of the cross is equal to the power of God. How do we have the power of God? Preach the word. Because God's word is powerful. And God's word can get its own work accomplished. God's word is what works. Someone may come to you and say, oh, man, I could see that you're having some problems. What are you going to do about that problem? I'm going to go to church. What? How is that going to fix? I'm going to let God's word do a work. I'm going to hear what God has to say about it. And I'm going to obey it. And God will do a work. What? Hey, you know what? I have an idea. You have a church out there. Let's, uh, let's put a rock band in here. And let's put a... Con- uh, a special circus in here. Let's have clowns for Christ and weightlifters for the Lord and jugglers for Jesus. And you know what? You'll get a lot of people that come in. Sure, you could build a crowd, but the Bible says, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. How did God say he's going to build his house? Preaching. Preaching. How does that work out? That doesn't make sense. I know. God did it that way on purpose. To show that Only God could do it this way. Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You know, all the wise folks have an answer of how a church is supposed to be built. How a family is supposed to be raised. And they come up with all these ideas. And you know what? Those ideas don't work. They may seem for a time that they may bring happiness or they may seem to work. But it all crumbles at the end. And their wise ideas... Turn to not. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The prudent here comes the idea of someone who's honestly trying to do what's right, but they're doing it outside of God's thing. They're, they're trying to be conservative. They're trying to uh, be wise about their finances, wise about, but they do it outside of God's principles, and it doesn't work. Their understanding, they said it should have worked. I thought this out. I followed the plans and it didn't work. Why not? Because it wasn't God's way. Verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? You don't have to look for them, by the way. They're all there. You could find a disputer anywhere you want. But when it comes to here, where's the person that says, my way works? And it works every time. Let him compare it to God and see if it really works. Hath not God made the foolish or foolishness the wisdom of this world? Again, the world has their own plans. And they think we're nuts for being here on a Wednesday night. However, notice what it says in verse 21. 
For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Notice this phrase, save them that believe. It's not to save them that are lost. It's to save them that believe. So when us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, how does God work in our lives? How does He solve problems? Foolishness of preaching. That God gives us His word and whatever you're going through, God gives you something to obey. And as you obey it, it's amazing to see God work. The foolishness of preaching. You tell someone else who's lost how to go save their problems. You need to go to church. What? How is that going to fix my marriage? Go to church. Hey, I'm going to fix my fine. Go to church. Why? Because there's going to be a preacher there who's going to preach. I don't need someone preaching at me. Well, this is stupid, silly. I know, but God said it's going to work. Try it. That's what God did is he made it. So the silliest thing, the stupidest thing, the foolish thing to all the wise is how God said he's going to fix it. Foolishness of preaching. Now let's illustrate this. Now this is all talking about the power of God's word. We know that preaching, what is preaching? Let's define our terms. Preaching is declaring God's word with a purpose and bringing a person to the place of decision. That's what preaching is. By the way, this is why some things going on in churches don't work today. Because they're giving a religious talk. They're not having preaching. Now, let me also define my terms. Preaching is not volume. This is not teaching. And this preaching, preaching, teaching. It's not volume. What is preaching? Preaching is declaring God's word and bringing people to a place of decision. What are you going to do with this information? Decide now. That's the foolishness of preaching. Many people have no problems with religious teaching. If I teach on the Bible and I teach about Jesus and I teach about the pot, that's fine. As long as I don't have that dreaded invitation afterwards. That invitation is the important part of preaching. What are you going to do because of the preached word? What decision are you going to make? That's the foolishness of preaching. The preaching of God's word does a work, but the person must make a decision. What are you going to do? And that's the idea of preaching. Bringing you to the idea, what are you going to do with this information? The foolishness of preaching. So as we turn, if you don't mind, to the book of Acts chapter 17, let's see the power of God's word on display. Let's see it historically working out. Let's see what the foolishness of preaching, the power of God's word. Let's see what happens when the word of God was preached. The first thing I want to bring to your attention in this historical account is the reasonableness of preaching. The reasonableness of preaching. Notice with me in Acts 17 in verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jew. Now this is talking about Paul and his missionary team. Paul and Silas specifically. Verse number 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. Where? To the synagogue of the Jews. And three Sabbath days reasoned with them out 
of the Scriptures. Notice he didn't do it by his own words. He went into the Jewish synagogue, opened up a Jewish Bible, opened it up, and from their Bible reasoned with them who Jesus Christ was. Now, Paul always started with the synagogues. These were the places where the people would gather together to learn more about God's Word. It gave Paul a common ground with people to build up their knowledge of Christ. By the way, what do we learn from this? We take people from the known to the unknown. We start from where they are. We start from what knowledge they have and build up on that basis. Because the Jewish people were familiar with the Jewish scriptures, Jesus or Paul took the Jewish scriptures and he reasoned with them from their scriptures. Hey, you want to know about Jesus? Jesus is our Messiah. Notice exactly what he was talking to them about, verse number three. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs to have suffered. Let's put a pause there. For the Jewish people, they were waiting for their Messiah. And the people had a wrong view of the Messiah. Remember that the Jewish people were hoping that God would come and establish a new kingdom of Jerusalem, of Israel. And from Israel, God was going to rule the world. By the way, that's going to happen but they were expecting him to do it now. He was expecting the, the Messiah to come, take charge of Jerusalem, destroy the Romans, kick them, humiliate them, take over the world, and the world would be ruled by the Jewish people. They like that. However, Paul said, no, 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 you have a wrong view of the Messiah. Here it says that Jesus, the Messiah, must have suffered. By the way, Paul understood this. Why did Paul have such a hard time understanding uh, Jesus Christ was the cross? Do you know that Paul grew up with Jesus? They were both in the synagogue together. Remember when Jesus was 12 years old and he went to the synagogue and he began to talk with the doctors and the lawyers? Guess who was the prized student of Gamaliel? That would be Paul. Paul knew Jesus. They interact with him. They probably talk to each other. Why did Paul reject Jesus then? Because the Bible says, Cursed is anyone that hangeth upon the tree. Paul could not wrap around his mind that God would allow his Messiah to be cursed. But notice this is what Paul's now telling the Jewish people. He's saying, listen, I had a hard time with this. I struggled with this. But here, the Bible says that Christ must needs to be suffered. He says, look with me to what David said in Psalm 22. Jesus starts off, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Paul could walk through Psalm 22 and say, this is what happened to Jesus Christ. This is what happened that day. He said, take your Bible to Isaiah 53. And he says, let me show you that Jesus Christ is the lamb that was led to the slaughter. That he was bruised for our infirmities. He was bruised for our iniquities. With his stripes you are healed. Our Messiah must have suffered. And passage after passage, he reasoned with him. He showed them the scriptures and showed them that Jesus Christ must have suffered and risen from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach to you is Christ the Messiah. What a wonderful message he had and for three Saturdays, three Sabbaths, he reasoned with the people. What was the result? Verse number four, and some of them believed. Why? 
because of the God's word, because of the power of God's word, not because of Paul, but because of God's word. God's word did it work and consort it with Paul and Silas. And notice this, and of the devout Greeks. So these are the non-Jewish people that Paul talked to. Notice it says a great multitude. So when Paul preached and gave the gospel, we're going to get the emphasis here. Uh, some people are going to say, well, the Jewish people rebelled and Paul preached and no one listened to him and finally he get kicked out of town. No, 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 no. A great multitude believed. Praise the Lord because of the preaching of God's word. And notice this, it says, and of the chief women, not a few. That's a old poetical way of saying a whole bunch. If it's not a few, that means it is a great many. A great many of the chief women. A, a lot of people accept three Saturdays there. Opening up the Bible and preaching God's word. And many people came to know Christ as their savior because of God's word. A great work was accomplished. Now, of course, when a great work is accomplished, there is also going to be a great opposition. But when we see this reasonableness of scripture, it's taking people from the known to the unknown. And by the way, preaching should be reasonable. We should have a reasonableness. We're not trying to say crazy nonsense. We're bringing people from the known to the unknown. We're trying to reason with them in a logical way. This is what the Bible said and this is the conclusion you need to draw. We need to have that. We need to have a biblically defensible position. Meaning that no matter what we believe, we should be able to open up the Bible and say, this is why I do this. This is why I say this. This is why we do this. This is why we practice this. Having a biblically defensible position. Now, preaching should always bring us to the place of a better knowledge of God's word. That's what preaching should do. Didn't these people have a better knowledge of Jesus? Because why? He said, open your Bible to Psalm 22. Let me show you. Did they understand Psalm 22 better? Yes. Isaiah 53. Did they understand Isaiah 53 better? Yes. Preaching should bring us to the place where we have a better understanding of God's word. And then, of course, preaching should always point to Christ because it's all about him. It's all about him. And then preaching brought to a decision. How do we know that he brought them to a decision? Because it said they did. And some of them believed. They made a decision. All right, now that I told you about Jesus, will you believe? Yes or no? Yes, I will believe. Many of them believe. Preaching is bringing them to the place of decision. Now let's see as this goes on the results of preaching. The results of preaching. Verse number 5. And the Jews which believed not. Alright, so verse number 4. Lots of people believed. What we see here in verse number 4. Is a small number who did not believe. And they were upset. And consort uh, and moved with envy. By the way, they moved with envy because they wanted people to listen to them and their message. And they're jealous because look at how many people are listening to Paul. That's not right. They should listen to me. I'm a better person than Paul. And they're moved with envy. And took upon them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Now that's a key phrase. Because they could not find any upstanding citizens to go against Paul. They had to go find scumbags who were willing to be paid to go cause problems. If you come to the position where you have to go find awful, horrible people to line up with you, you're probably not on the right side. 
That's who they had to go find. They couldn't find any upstanding citizens because they're all believing Paul. They had to go find robbers and thieves and people who'd be hired, mercenaries, drunkards who just hated Paul's message. They had to go find the lowest people in the city to go cause problems and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. Now, can you see this? All the good church people deciding to go against and assaulting a house. They had to go hire people who had no problems assaulting someone's house. And they went around this house looking for Paul and looking for Silas because Jason had the misfortune of having them stay at their house and they're searching it. Come on, bring them out to us. And when they found them not. So can you imagine this scenario? The apostle Paul comes to town and you have the privilege of setting him up and for three weeks you're feeding him and you're listening to the Bible and you're hearing about people getting saved. What a wonderful time. And then Paul and Silas happens to be out of the house. And all of a sudden a big crowd comes around your house. And they start asking for the preacher. That good for nothing preacher. And you try to say he's not here. He's not here. And they don't believe you. So they drag you and your family out of the house. And they search your house. Feel like you feel violated by that time? They search his house. Then they can't find him. What do you do when you can't find the guy you want to go hang up? So what they do is they took Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city crying, these people that have turned the city upside down come hither. So they grab Jason and everyone that's in his house. So with that, the, um, and certain brethren of the rulers of the city are so here is the people who got saved. Jason and other people got saved. They drag them to the, to the magistrates. They drag them to the city and say, listen, these people are causing problems. Get rid of them. Hang them. Stone them. Do something with them. Get rid of them. Poor Jason. He just tried to house the preacher. He wasn't even preaching himself. He just have to ha put the preacher up in his house. And now he's getting being dragged away. But I want you to notice this phrase. These have turned this world upside down or come hither also. Now normally when we read that phrase, I don't know what you think of. When you hear this phrase, who do you think is saying this? Do you think this is normally, when you hear this phrase, is it something that Christians are saying? Hey, they turned the world upside down. Normally we preach it like that way or hear it that way. But you understand that this is the lost people who hate God who recognize they have turned the city upside down. That they have done something with this city. It's not the same anymore. They've turned the city upside down. It used to be, if you think of uh, people who love evil, love wrong, the right side up is when wrong is triumphing, right? Well, you turn the world upside down, wrong is no longer doing right. No, wrong is no longer winning. They turned it upside down. It's not the side I want anymore. I want to get it when I can get away with my sin. I wanted to have it when I'm not convicted of my sin. But now they turned the world upside down. It's not the right way. They turned it upside down. And it is the lost people that are saying that. You know what happens when the preaching goes forth? It turns the world upside down. So much so that even the evil people are the ones acknowledging 
Something has happened because of that church. Something has happened because of that preaching. Something has occurred. Something has gone on. By the way, that's the power of God's word because we can't make things happen ourselves. But when God's word does a work and it starts to get a hold of people's life and it begins to change them where people are no longer at the bars. Do you think the bars in Seymour would be happy if all of their patrons became coming to church on Sunday? Do you think Green Bay Packers will be happy one day when there's more people coming to church than going to a Green Bay Packer game? Do you think they might have some issues? Do you think there may be some opposition? You bet. When everything's turned upside down, how come there's more? We, we can't have games on Sunday because no one's here. Even the Packers, man, I'm dreaming big. Won't that be great? Can God's word do that? Absolutely, it can. When God's word does a work, it turns the world upside down. So they drag them up and declare that they've messed, uh, that Jason and all of them have gone against Caesar. Verse number eight, and they troubled the people and the cities, uh, rulers of the cities when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let him go. Now, here's the city officials. They said, all right, fine. We'll take them and deal with them. All right, good. Hey, you're safe. Go home. All right, we dealt with them. Aren't you glad that God protected them and looked after them? <laughs> Let them go home? Now, they understood that the crowd was still looking for Paul. Now, if they had Paul, they probably wouldn't have dragged him up to the city magistrates. They probably would have taken care of it himself. So they said, Paul, you got to get out of town. You're not safe here. If they get a hold of you, that's it. Verse number 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, whose coming thither went to the synagogue of the Jews. So Paul... You've turned the world upside down. You can't be here no more. <laughs> you got to go. You got enough people that are for you, but the, enough, the people who are against you, they're against you. They're, if they get a hold of you, I mean, you've turned this whole thing upside down. We're going to be figuring things out for a while. By the way, it's a good thing, Paul. Thank you. And they sent him on his way. That's what preaching does, is it turns the world upside down. Oddly enough, comical enough, consistent enough, you know what Paul did when he got to the next town? Went to the synagogue. Did the same thing again. He learned his lesson. The preaching of God's word is going to do a work. Let's see what happens in this town. You think that was just an adventure to Paul? Let's go see what happens in this town. This last town they went and stoned me and killed me, but I came back. Let's see what happens in this next town. I mean, it may not always be fun adventures, but it was an adventure. Let's see what happens now. So then we come to this. Our response to preaching. So if preaching is preaching of God's word. God's word has power. God's word has the ability to turn the world upside down. What is our response to preaching if we want the world to turn, God to turn our world upside down and the world that we live in? How do we respond to preaching? How do we respond so that way God's word can do its work? Glad you asked. What is our response to preaching? Notice with me in verse 11. These, so talking about Berea, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. How? Why? In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those th things were so. Notice there's three things here. 
notice that first of all, those who were more noble in Thessalonica, why? Some people jump to the end because they try to see whether those things are so. And it carries the idea that, hey, you know what? We don't care if it's the Apostle Paul or not. We're going to see if you're wrong. We're going to, that's not why the people in Thessalonica were more noble. Why were the people in Thessalonica more noble? Notice what it says. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? And that they received the word with all readiness of mind. How is it that we are supposed to respond to preaching? That you receive it with all readiness of mind. That you're not trying to see, I want to see if this affects me or not. No, this comes with an open mind, readiness, a decision already. Lord, I'm expecting you to speak to me. I'm expecting to make a decision. I'm expecting for you to ask me to do something. I'm listening for you. I'm seeking after you. It's approaching God and approaching the preaching with all readiness of mind. By the way, that makes all the difference in the world. Do you know that there are some people who get more out of preaching than others? What makes the difference? Well, you got the people that cross their arms and say, bless me if you can. Well, sometimes I can't because they won't receive it no matter what. They're looking for something. I could find something wrong with the preaching. If I could find one thing wrong, that's it. I'm going to let the... You're not ready to listen to it. Remember, the preaching is not about the preacher. It's about the word of God. How is God going to speak to me? What am I supposed to do with this? God, I want to say yes. Tell me something that I'm supposed to do. I am ready. To hear. I am prepared to hear. By the way, there is a preparation for it. If you have been in the world all week long and then step into a service, you're probably not going to be ready to hear. If you haven't been in your Bible all week long, you're probably not going to be ready to hear. If you've been just fighting with your spouse, your kids, someone else, you're probably not ready to hear. There's a preparation that goes into it to have, be ready to listen, to go. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They were assuming that the preaching was correct. They were assuming that the word of God was going to do a work. And they were ready for it. Then notice this, number two. And search the scriptures daily. Notice there's a comma there. There's a break here. These were people... We're more noble in Thessalonica. How do you be prepared for preaching? Be ready to listen to it. And be in the scriptures daily yourself. They search the scriptures daily. You know, you have to have a habit of being in the Bible. And you get an appetite for the Bible. You know, people who enjoy preaching are people who enjoy the Bible. That makes sense, right? If someone hates reading their Bible, they're probably going to hate preaching. Because it's all about the word of God. Are you in God's word daily? Are you searching it? Are you in it? Are you in it daily looking for it? By the way, I like it. It says it, they were in their book, their Bibles daily. They were searching the scriptures daily. It wasn't once a week. It wasn't hit or miss. It was daily. Daily in the word. They skirt, search the scriptures daily. And then notice this. Whether those things were so. Then they searched the scriptures whether those things were so. So the apostle Paul preached something the other day. I've already been in my scripture. Lord, back up what he said as I read my Bible. Oh look, preacher just said something like this the other day. There it is. I love when that happens. 
I can't tell you how many times that uh, I'll preach a message and someone will say, man, I've never heard that before. But guess what? A couple days later, I was in my Bible and there and it said it right there. It backed up the message. Yeah, good. Oh, wonderful. I love it when God backs it up. That's wonderful. God will back up the message of his messenger if he is preaching his word. I'm not out on a limb. I'm on firm ground, firm foundation. God will double check his word and, double it and encourage it. Sometimes I'll preach something and say, I didn't quite understand that. But I turned to this passage and was reading it. Man, it's clear now. I understand what you're saying. Yes, wonderful. Why? Because God's word will do its own work. I'm just the messenger boy. I'm not coming up with something new. We're just preaching what the Bible says and the Bible is consistent. This is why they were more noble in Thessalonica. Now, what is our response to preaching? We're talking about the power of preaching. And we understand that the power of God has the ability to turn the world upside down. And it can. How? It's not by them. It's by us. It's how we receive preaching. First of all, are you ready to hear? Are you ready to hear? There's a preparation that needs to be made. You begin, you prepare for Sunday morning by preparing on Sunday night. You put out your clothes, you find your shoes. With those little kids, you find their shoes Saturday night and have them ready so that way on Sunday morning you're not fussing. Where's your shoes at? Where can't you find it? You know when's ready to go to church and listen to God's word when you just got through fighting and fussing where things were. You prepare yourself, get things prepared, uh, meals and everything. So that way you're not worried about things and you're not distracted for God's preaching. There's a preparation that comes. Then searching the scriptures daily. If you want God's word to change the world around us and turn it upside down, it begins with us. You need to be daily in God's word. You need to be searching the scriptures daily. You need to be looking for it. You'll be better ready to respond. And then searching the scriptures. That after I preach, you're not trying to disprove me, but as you're reading the Bible, God's going to back up what I say. If I'm saying things that are biblical, he's backing up the message. And with that, it gives you more confidence. Look at what God's word is. And you're ready to respond. You're ready to obey. You're ready to say yes. Now, by the way, that also means being ready to respond at an altar. There's nothing magical about an altar, but there's something about stepping forward, putting feet to your prayers, making a decision and moving your decision. People, it's been just one of those psychological things that happens. People keep their decisions if they move. There's something about that action when they make a decision to keep it. Now we're going to talk about on Sunday morning about how to make a proper decision that's going to lead into this message. How do we properly make a decision? But we have to be ready to listen. What? Expecting God to speak to us. And let me tell you, God's word can do its work. God's word. Can, I can give you illustration after illustration. There was a certain county in the 1800s as Billy Sunday, the famous evangelist, was going around uh, preaching. And they checked the records from right before Billy Sunday got there to one year after Billy Sunday came back. And the jails were still empty a year after Billy Sunday came. It wasn't because law enforcement wasn't doing their job. It was just because there was a lack of people who was doing wrong to go to jail. In England, there was a certain county that um, a preacher... Uh, 
a man went to a bar. He was looking for something to drink. And um, he went in there and the bar was empty. And he said, is it normally like this? He says, yep, it's been that way for a while. He says, what happened? Why would it be so there? He said, there was a man that came from God whose name was John. It was John Wesley. You see, a year before, before John Wesley came, the only Bible you could find in that town was in that bar. And it was to help underneath a a leg of a table to keep it from wobbling. But then John Wesley came and God used him and a mighty revival happened. And since then, the whole bar, nobody went to the bar ever again. Can you imagine such a thing? And the Welsh revival, the Ulster revivals of 1853, wrong date, somewhere on there, that all of the plowmen and all of the uh, workers out in the field, they got saved. They got saved so completely, they had to teach the mules a new language. Because the mules were used to being cursed at to go, hya, hya, go. And the mount, when the uh, mules weren't being cussed out, they didn't know whether to go forward, go back, stop. They, didn't know, they had to be retaught a brand new language to the mules. You see, God's word can change the world. It could turn the world upside down. It's by the foolishness of preaching because of the power of God's word. You know why sometimes that doesn't happen now? Because we don't believe in the power of God's word. We believe in programs. We believe in carnival acts. We believe in other things. But we don't trust God's word. God's word will do its work. And if we expect God's word to do its work, it has to start here. And as we respond and as we listen, God will do a great work. You say, do you believe this? Yeah, I'm crazy and stupid enough to believe it works. It will work. It's amazing. I can give you story after story after story of God's work being done. There was a, uh, a place, I think it was Macon, Georgia, that they had what was called the singing revival. And in the singing revival, so many people got saved there that back those days they had trolley cars. It was not uncommon for people on the trolley car to be singing hymns. Jesus loves me. As they were going down, people would go into JCPenney's and just start shopping and someone would start singing hymn and the whole store would break out singing the hymn. It was called the singing revival because no matter where you went, someone was singing and the whole crowd was singing with them. What happened? Foolishness of preaching. God's word can do a work. It could turn the world upside down. Even Green Bay. Even this little place called Seymour. God can do a work. He could do a miraculous work. And it's not by us. It's by his preaching. The preaching of God's word. The foolishness of preaching. So with this you say, how do I, what do I do? The only thing you could work on right now is you. Are you prepared to respond? Are you ready every time the Bible is open? Maybe there's something that needs to be changed so that way when you come to church, you're ready to listen. You're prepared to listen. You're ready to make a decision. You're searching for God. Maybe there's something that needs to be adjusted, something that needs to be fixed, something that needs to be altered so you're ready to listen. Do you have a pen and paper? Are you a daily in God's word? Are you anticipating God to do a work? All of this comes to us. With us few that are in here, the world could be changed. 
Not because of us, but because of the power of His Word. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.